I am live streaming from him. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hi, this is Dr. Nick, and here I am at HIMSS 2019, and we're live streaming on the Nuance booth, 3345, with Healthcare Now Radio and Health Innovation Media. Um, We've got a lineup of guests for the next two hours. I'm excited to be uh, bringing them and uh, exploring some of the uh, new innovation that's taking place uh, both on the Nuance booth, but also at HIMSS. Um, but before we get started, I'm lucky to have uh, my friend and colleague, Fred Goldstein. Hey, it's great to be here again, Dr. Nick. Always a pleasure. So, Fred, um, yesterday was a quiet day. There was nothing going on. So you obviously had lots of time on your hands to be able to go out and uh, check out what was going on. So what did you find? Well, um, so I went around a number of booths. And actually, you know, it's interesting. I always like to try to find the newer small companies that are out there maybe trying to do something. And uh, happened to go through some of the startups. Uh, Israel's got a booth here, and I was going through a, their, their companies, they've got folks doing COPD apps and devices, and a number of them actually are waiting. It's, they're in FDA trials now, trying to get them, getting ready to get FDA approval for their devices. Um, but what's interesting is there are a lot of similar devices all over or similar apps all over, whether it's a focus on wellness or COPD or a wearable as a watch that suddenly adds one new feature set. So you kind of wonder at what point does this begin to coalesce into a few companies with the leadership roles in that versus everybody coming out with 10 or 15 new ideas. It, it feels a little bit, I mean, you know, as, as you're talking about this, I feel like it's the, um, uh, the portalitis as we heard about, yes. right? It's, it's the same thing, but now it's, um, uh, appitis. Is that maybe the word that, that absolutely could be. And then the question becomes, who's going to create the aggregator in that? And I think, you know, as we're starting to see whether it's with Apple and them trying to begin to aggregate across the stream of healthcare information, there's got to be that play. You know, and you're even seeing we have these large interoperability companies, and I suddenly see a very small booth with a company that says, hey, we're a connector, we're an interoperability company. But I'm wondering, you know, these large vendors already have a big chunk of that space, so how do they kind of get themselves in there? Yeah, so, and the other thing about that is you want an independent voice that says, um, you know, we're going to assess this a bit like consumer reports for apps. And what I recall was that there was actually a a company that was doing that, but I I feel like they've disappeared, or at least they've disappeared off my radar, which (laughs) that's not exclusive, you know, but... (laughs) I blanked on their name. I'm trying to remember who it was because they launched a big fanfare a couple years back and they were starting to... So it's not just approved. me that it's disappeared, no, no, so maybe they have disappeared. I think we're both in the same boat, trying to figure that one out and remember who it well, was. Well, if, if you do exist, let us know. Tweet <laughs> us. I'm at DrNick1, uh, at F.S. Goldstein. Um, let us know, because we certainly we want to highlight that, because we think that's part of it. So um, so that's certainly great. Um, anything else? Yeah, the other fascinating thing was this morning we had a chance to, as we do every year at the at, the, at HIMSS, our key... Uh, interview with Dr. Kaveh Safavi, the Global Managing Director of Health for Accenture. They had released a, a, a new study they did on um, consumers and the whole um, therapeutic space, et cetera, and really talked about this fact that, that what we're seeing in all the other industries where the apps and the technology lets us connect or buy or do all this stuff, 
the the younger consumers, including those between 35 and 50, are also pushing in that direction and saying, wait, we get all that service like that and everything else we buy and, and access. How come we don't get that in healthcare? And are pushing healthcare in that direction. And so as we discussed, the question then becomes, who can who are these new technologies or, or the integration of those going to save any money? Are they going to make it more efficient? Are they going to create these the uh, consumer engagement that we're looking for. So it's been a, it's, it was fascinating listening to him this morning. We've, we'll have that up on videotape sometime the next week or so. So uh, the, the idea that uh, you know some of this should uh, take place as as a sort of native innovation. You know why is it that that's even a thing? I mean, shouldn't that just be happening naturally? Well, you would think so. And it's it's I think healthcare is getting there, but we've created so many impediments. And then the question becomes, okay, so if you don't do it, as, as many, so many, say as an example, many of the younger generation are saying, I'm not going to my primary care doctor, as you know, you've discussed and others, so I'm accessing it in a different way. I'm going through my app, or I'm using a telemedicine thing, or I'm going to go get my flu shot at some place you'd never thought of versus a doctor's office. So there may be some inertia from the providers themselves that says, well, I don't want that because that business is moving away from me. So I, it, it, it almost feels like this is the um, reality of uh, my world where, you know, I take my iPhone, I take my any piece of technology and I put it in the lead line box that's at the doorstep of healthcare and I walk in with my piece of paper and pencil um, and check all my sort of expectations of instant available information. And you're saying that that's maybe not going to be the case? Well, I think that's going to happen, and it's going to be forced, by, as, as the study shows, by these younger groups who are extremely disappointed with how the whole system it's is. It's not just the younger right, generation. Right. I mean, Even gonna, us. My mother was disappointed, right? <laughs> so and I was about to laugh at you when you said come in with a piece of paper because you probably just completed it at the appointment 30 minutes beforehand. Exactly. Another piece of paper in the same yeah. place and do it again yeah and you know we we know the pervasiveness of faxes and you know certainly lots of discussion about that and that came up in another uh, uh, yeah. engagement that uh, uh, I had earlier on today and you know the monster isn't the facts the facts actually solved a host of problems and if it wasn't still solving problems people wouldn't be using it right. Um, right. I think we have to fix the underlying technology and I, I call out the government and their sort of movement towards this um, innovation uh, uh, to, to create interoperability. So Yeah, well, that was um, great. All right. So anyway, um, thanks for joining us uh, today. Fred, you'll be interjecting as we uh, have uh, opportunities throughout the next couple of hours. Otherwise, um, you know, uh, keep an eye on what's going on and we'll talk a little bit later. I'll do it. Thanks, Nick. So this is Dr. Nick and I'm uh, live streaming from HIMSS 2019. And uh, I'm here on the Nuance booth 3345 with Healthcare Now Radio and Health Innovation Media. And right now, I'm excited to be joined by a good friend of mine, uh, physician, uh, innovator in the space of uh, uh, speech and integration of technology, Dr. Reed Conant. Reed, thanks for joining me today. Sure, Nick. My pleasure. It's great to see you again. So uh, you've been involved in this for a long time, uh, not always as, as part of Nuance, but, uh, you know, working. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know all about you, but I think certainly the uh, listeners would like to learn more, and we'd certainly like to understand your background um, uh, before we talk about some of the innovation. Sure. Be happy to. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. And 
it's an exciting week. So um, my background, I'm first of all, I'm a practicing emergency department physician out in Southern California in the San Diego area. I've been a CMIO of my medical group. I'm very involved in the deployment of the EMR and various solutions, including speech and related technologies at my hospital. Um, had the opportunity to work with, with some clients locally as I started doing some consulting there. Um, as, as we grew the team and expanded geographically, we also started, initially we're focused on EDIS optimization, EHR optimization, and then surging some projects with speech as Dragon was in, in its early or in its infancy, if you will, and then began to work with the Nuance team on that. Um, had, had the chance to work with quite a few organizations over the last 10 years. I've worked with well over 200 organizations in the deployment of related speech and related technologies. Um, <clears throat> and then about four years ago, we joined Nuance formally. I came on board as CMIO. And, uh, and, and since then, I've been working, uh, one of my primary roles has been to work on our ambient clinical intelligence project, which is uh, very exciting. We can talk about that some more. And I've also continued to work with clients as they deploy technology. So tell us a little bit about your journey into this. So, you know, obviously you practice medicine. You've been in this game of uh, delivery of healthcare. It's, you know, a pretty unique circumstance in the emergency room. That was my area of specialism. Um, what got you into the whole voice and speech? Why, why did you end up even looking at that? Why did you care? Sure, that's a great question. So back in 2008, when we went live with electronic documentation, we were feeling some pressure from... I just want to know, yeah. that's 10 years ago, folks. I know, right? Time flies. <laughs> Time flies, Nick, it does. Um, but we, um, we were feeling some pressure from the administration to decrease transcription costs. We were spending a million dollars a year or so on transcription, um, even from our EHR vendor to deploy these new technologies. But at the time, they were, they were fairly nascent, the technologies. There were m numerous workflow challenges, and we put together a model that actually was a, a triangular model, if you will, of the, the templated structured documentation system. We were in Cerner at the time, or in PowerNote, and um, still in Cerner. I've been practicing in Cerner environment for the last 15 years or so. Um, and so PowerNote was a highly structured document that, sure, it was great to capture data, but the patient's story was lacking or right. was challenged. Yep. And that's where speech came in. And we actually started out with a human scribe model as, as an augmentation as well, where we had scribes to capture and, and compile much of the data. They used the skeleton of the power note, the backbone, and then we added the narrative for especially the medical decision-making using Dragon. And it was a, a very effective model. We, we were able to increase productivity when we owned electronic um, and such. But subsequently, for, we used scribes for about eight years, okay? But that became a fairly expensive luxury, to be honest with you. Um, the technology had advanced. We had moved to Cerner's Dynamic Documentation, which was their new documentation platform. Dragon had had, changed, you know, had evolved, and now Dragon Medical One, the cloud-based version, much, much more accurate, much easier to use. And we realized that, hey, the, the presence of scribes was an, effect, was an expensive luxury and really unnecessary. So we saved ourselves quite a bit of, of money there and, um, and moved away from scribes because we were able to optimize the combination of the Cerner application dynamic documentation along with the use of Dragon Medical One and meet all of our objectives, maintain our productivity. All of our users or all of our physicians are using it, very satisfied with it, right? So 
Um, the, the technology continues to evolve. We just, we're trying to find ways to make the most of it. So, um, you know, fast forward a little bit. Um, you, you created essentially an infrastructure, I, I think, I, trying to describe it as succinctly as possible, a sort of a packaging of the tool set that essentially puts scribing into a voice-enabled world um, that empowered clinicians to be more active, more efficient, but it still wasn't good enough for you, right? There was still more to come. What's been going on since? Sure. Well, similar to where, where we found the use of speech recognition to be important, that technology augmenting the, the, the human workflow with physician and scribe, we, we see that there's a huge opportunity for, for ambient technology to now augment, supplement the physician process. If I think about my clinical workflow today, much of what I do at the bedside could be captured with an improved system, right? right. So if I'm calling out exam findings, um, if I'm discussing patients' risk factors, if I'm performing an NIH scale, or maybe it's a preoperative checklist, these are areas that are ripe to capture that information in parallel as I'm performing the clinical task. And this doesn't just go for physicians, but it's for nurses as well, right? So the bedside skin exam, discussion of the fall risk, et cetera, numerous other assessments done by nurses where they may need to scribble on their gloves or their scrubs or a napkin. And <laughs> what a go, frightening idea, right? Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and then take that back to, to their computer to document it. Whereas if, if they had an ambient presence to capture that, that documentation at the bedside, they'd be much more efficient, more accurate, right? And, and um, we would, we would uh, postulate much more satisfied with that process. It, it reminds me of the picture that I still have and use occasionally. I pull out just to shock people. It's the paper towel that has some uh, uh, patient metrics, and it was uh, hole punched and put into the patient notes. <laughs> That's, that's a classic. Yeah, that's great. It's so great, I can imagine. You, you think about uh, the innovation that we've got today and um, tell us a little bit about your experience. You know, the emergency rooms, um, you know, it, it's unique, certainly in the interactions and uh, the variation. Um, it, uh, how, how's it working? What's been your experience? Well, so the use of the combination of speech and and electronic documentation has had, has had a major impact on our providers um, in terms of efficiency. The, the movement to Dragon Medical One about two years ago is when we started using that. We found the cloud-based version to be much, much more accurate. It's, I can dictate three notes and it often doesn't miss a beat, doesn't miss a word. It may miss an occasional word, very easy to correct. It learns, gets more accurate, right? So, so speech has just become a necessity of the physician workflow. And that doesn't just go for the ED. That's, mo that's most, if not all specialties. I've yet to find one where it can't be a positive impact. That's one, that's one thing. Um, where we see this going in the future that's, that's very exciting is, um, is beyond just speech, right? So we've done a lot of work on ambient clinical intelligence. And, and what this is, is the placement of a device in the, in the patient room that's capturing the conversation between the patient and the physician that has integrated machine vision to track skeletal movements of the patient and the physician to further drill down on who's speaking and, and where perhaps the patient says it hurts right here. And the machine vision would pick up and say, oh, they're pointing to their right knee, right? So we're demonstrating this in a, in a live setting here in, at, at HIMSS. It's very exciting. And 
Um, and I've been working closely with the team on, on this effort and build up and, and the research team as well. We've made tremendous strides in the area of ambient clinical intelligence. Now I'll tell you the reason, one reason is, is that Nuance has been doing this for years in the automotive and mobile spaces. And we've taken, actually taken some of those team members and moved them to healthcare and ported much of that technology as well to leverage that. That's allowed us to leapfrog and to accelerate our development in this area quite a bit. So uh, you, you talked about um, some of the methodologies, and I want to sort of dig into that as a, a clinician. So um, one of the things I heard you say is sort of articulating some of the interactions checklist when you're seeing a patient. Is that realistic? Is that what actually happens? And, you know, does that make sense? Or is this a, a change in the way that you interact with patients as a result of this new sort of tool that's there? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a very astute question, Nick, honestly. Um, and, and I say that because I see many parallels in where we're headed with this new technology, many parallels with the human scribing process changes that were necessary 10 years ago. When we put that process in place, we actually, we not only needed to train the scribes on medical terminology and their process, but we also needed to train the physicians on how best to use the system, right? right? And to train them when they're at the bedside that the scribe will use a standard, maybe their standard exam that they defined ahead of time, but that the physician needs to call out uh, abnormals and pertinent normals, right? And that, that they want the scribe to call out um, or additional normals. And once the physician learns that part of the process, the system works much better. Right. It, it will be fairly similar here, actually, right? So the practice of the physicians might change slightly. And the way we're demonstrating this, as I examine the patient's knee in the experience room here at HIMSS, as, as I examine it, I'm calling out those physical findings right. and I'm calling out some normals and then the system captures and documents them. So we don't anticipate that it would be 100% practice as usual, but we do, um, we do see that those changes would be subtle and minimally impactful and the benefits would be tremendous. So when, imagine this, patient and physician walk into the room or the, the physician walks into the room to meet the patient, they discuss for a while, examine the patient, they uh, dictate or they, dis they, they <clears throat> um, speak an assessment and some plan and a few orders. And then that's all drafted. The document is drafted. The orders are queued up right. as pending. The problem list may be modified as a result of the exam discussion. And then the physician walks out of the room, just needs to verify that. That's a tremendous leap in efficiency. And the response that we've been getting from physicians as they walk out of that experience room is, oh my gosh, that would be incredibly game-changing, or that will be. Now, where we are with this today to tell you is what we're showing is real technology. The conversation is real. It's loosely scripted, but there's much variation in the conversation. The ASR, the, ambient, or the automated speech recognition, is virtually 100% accurate, splits the conversation in two, creates the document on the fly. And it's, it, it, and, and then, so it's, it's true technology today we're using underlying deep learning neural network technology um, in combination with advanced speech recognition, right. right? And it's constructing that document on the fly. So the impression we're getting or the reaction we're getting from the providers is, is very, very positive. And we'll continue to broaden the scope. We're focused on orthopedics out the gate here, and we'll continue to broaden that scope. But this is, um, 
this, this is in the foreseeable future that this will be game-changing technology to our clinicians. So that's really exciting. So I, I just want to say thank you for joining me. Um, it's been a pleasure to sort of hear a little bit about the journey, some of the excitement around this, the innovation. I, I, I share it. I mean, I think uh, the idea that we don't have to change as clinicians is, um, you know, it, it's just impractical. We've changed throughout our careers. Um, you know, we do things differently all the time, and that's part of the sort of innovation. Doing it the same old way just doesn't make sense. So entirely in line. So thanks for joining me today. I uh, wish you, uh, uh, um, you know, a great show, um, lots of opportunities and uh, discussions, but thanks for taking the time out of your uh, busy schedule. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Nice, nice seeing you again, Nick. Okay. So this is Dr. Nick. I'm here live at uh, HIMSS 2019. And I am live streaming from the Nuance booth, 3345. And we are here live on Healthcare Now Radio uh, with Health Innovation Media. And I'm excited to uh, continue the physician uh, role as we have it. Um, I'm joined by another physician colleague and friend, Dr. Tony Oliva. Uh, he is a, a vice president and chief medical officer at Nuance. Um, comes at this from a slightly different angle um, in terms of his background. Tony, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Great seeing it. So uh, just for the purposes of uh, the listeners, tell us a little bit about your background, how you arrived here. Sure. Um, what is it that brings you to this point uh, in your career and your engagement uh, with the technology and the company? Sure. So, uh so I'm a family medicine physician by training, and uh, prior to joining Nuance, I had spent about 15 years of my career as a chief medical officer on the hospital side, uh, involved with technology, but not being techie, right? So, um, you know, really being more of a, what I would consider a traditional CMO, but very involved in the clinical documentation improvement world. And uh, what brought me to Nuance initially was Nuance's acquisition of the legacy J.A. Thomas organization, which right. now has become Nuance's clinical documentation improvement um, uh, traditional product. Um, and, you know, at the time it was um, trying to understand where that whole world of clinical documentation improvement was going to go and understanding the world of Nuance being, you know, um, voice and nature language processing and all that stuff and, and understanding that those two worlds coming together was what was necessary and, and an it, opportunity and right? an opportunity so i i decided that you now maybe i'll maybe i'll go over to that world for a while and uh and came in and uh, i've enjoyed being here and enjoyed the um you know sort of the ride that we've been on as far as the uh the development and and the uh the movement of of artificial intelligence uh to the front end with the physician lips so uh, think a little bit about your sort of um, uh, world of documentation improvement. Um, that's gone through a number of changes, and you know certainly ICD-10 is in in the recent history uh, from a healthcare standpoint that in, invoked a lot of change, a lot of uh, additional overhead. What's been your experience to date in terms of the innovation that's taken place, and you know the application of technology? Yeah. So so a couple of things. One is. You know, when clinical documentation improvement started out, it was relatively focused, right? It was an inpatient um, service to help organizations optimize the appropriate 
um, reimbursement that was required for the resources they were using. Um, and that requires getting the appropriate diagnosis on the record for the appropriate DRG for that payment. It was very specific and very clean in, in essence. And you could sort of do that world um, in the way they were doing it with, because um, uh, you could focus on Medicare and, and you could sort of, sort of have your arms around what was happening. But over the last five years, clinical documentation and the needs to have an accurate record, accurate diagnosis, the most specific diagnoses possible became relevant in more than just the inpatient space. Right. It came relevant in the outpatient space. Um, as, as Medicare Advantage and risk types of contrast tracking sort of moved in, the need to make sure that you're capturing all the specificity to assure that the severity and, and risk of mortality of your patient was optimized in order to optimize your reimbursement was required. And as we started to see how we were being measured as physicians and hospitals required us to accurately demonstrate how sick our patients were. So that, that need to be more present in everything that was happening in clinical documentation became required. So as we start to think of other payers beyond Medicare, we start to think of the outpatient space you can't do that with human beings walking around looking at records. So there was this necessity that technology was going to have to play a role in order to even allow organizations to optimize what they needed to do in that world and just get it right for the patient and for the appropriateness of billing and for the severity of the population they were dealing with. So our technology has followed that. You know, an ambulatory um, uh um, products and solutions specific towards the challenges of the ambulatory side, um, inpatient, um, radiology, um, and now as we start to talk about ambient technology that changes the you know the whole dynamic for physicians and their interaction with patients. Um, that's all very exciting, but very necessary um, because of the cost of human capital. Um, and, and not being able to do it with that. So, I, I, you know, it's, it's incredible as you think about this, the sort of expansion of just terminology. One of the things that really struck me as I, I got into some of the details of this is the overwhelming nature of essentially multiple vocabularies that exist. You know, there's our clinical vocabulary. So going to medical school is like learning a new language. That right. was what we were told. It certainly felt that way. But then that wasn't enough. There's this right. whole additional language and we're sort of asking and, you know, we're not really experts as clinicians. So this sort of overlay of technology allows us to sort of support that activity exactly. in a way that removes the burden, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so how's that working in practice? What, what's the process? Yeah, so, so good, right? So good question. Um, what ends up happening is that that secondary language from a physician standpoint is completely unknown when we get out there, right? So we've learned the clinical language, but when it comes to the business side of medicine and all the things that are required to do what you need to do, um, and the simple clinical speak being very different from what's required from the coding speak, right? right. They're, they're two, they, different. two different worlds. I can be clinically accurate in everything I do, but the record's not even going to be coded close to what was accurate as far as how sick the patient was right. or what I should be reimbursed for that care. So the technology allows us to sort of start to merge those worlds. 
where a physician may not understand that that specific terminology isn't good enough for the clinical description I just had, I could now use technology, put it in front of them and say, this, this is really the, the, the way that has to be um, uh, documented in order to get credit for what you just said. Otherwise, what you just said, you're not going to get credit for. So that's where technology comes in. It allows, it allows us to put that information in front of the physician when they need it and doesn't require them to learn a whole new vocabulary, in essence, right. of, uh, and do that. Does, can you help people understand that in, in process? So think about a clinical interaction and how that yeah. might work. Yeah, so I'm, I'm seeing a patient, for example, in my clinic, and, uh, and the patient has diabetes, and they also are on insulin. And they also have maybe a peripheral neuropathy secondary to their diabetes. Um, and I document that stuff in the record, right? And when I do my diagnosis at the end, I say diabetes type 2. Unfortunately, that's great, but this is a Medicare Advantage patient. Um, and the cost of taking care of the patient I just described, which has a peripheral neuropathy and is on insulin versus a controlled type 2 diabetic is very different. Right. So our technology can jump in and say, you said the patient had nephropathy. You said the patient was on insulin. Can you please describe that in your diagnosis to that specificity so that we then can get the appropriate reimbursement for that care? So it's all there. But because it's not in the diagnosis and the physician doesn't know it has to be in the diagnosis, we miss it, we get it captured, now we capture it and we're done. And how's that feedback coming in? What's, what's the uh, so, mechanism? Yeah, so using, um, in our world, using um, Dragon uh-huh. and Dragon Medical Advisor, which is, you don't even really need to be using the voice of Dragon, it just needs to be available to you. Right. Um, and um, it's feeding into there saying, there's an opportunity here before you sign this note to clean this up so that you get the most credit for what you're doing. And, and the other nice part is we've created it in a way that it's there, but not intrusive. It doesn't pop into my decision-making, right? It's there for me to initiate the decision-making when I'm done, but not while I'm thinking. Right. And, and for me, that's a safety issue, right? I don't want things popping in front of me while I'm yeah, thinking about the care. The, yeah, issue. right. I don't want that to happen. But when I want to just double check and make sure everything's accurate, I can do that when I want to do it. Right. And, and that, I think that's relatively and important. And you want to make sure that people know that that's the case so that Absolutely. they don't pass. So it's it right there and we're doesn't, ready to doesn't go. come back as a report and say, hey, you messed up. Well, we don't want, we also don't want to have the, somebody coming back to the doc the next day, right? So if we can get it done now, it's going to be a lot quicker for me to take three seconds and do it now. Yeah than to have to take 10 minutes tomorrow to respond to something that's going to come to me the next day. So moving forward a little bit, so that's the sort of, you know, foundational activity you, you've seen. I'm, I, I, have you actually used and, and worked with the ambient uh, uh, demo? Yes. Yeah. So um, uh, actually, I am doing some of the ambient Wait, demo. you're yeah, a, demo? a demo? Demo? Yeah. So, wow. Um, very exciting, right? Because I've been involved with this now for about, three months and um, and it's very interesting because yeah this is real Um, you know as we're demoing it we're realizing that the words we say are driving what's happening on the screen it's not a um, you know it's not a pre-scripted recording that just pops in there 
So, um, so we're trying to do a demo that's specific so we can get the right stuff there to show right. what it's, you know, what it's so doing. So it's scripted in the sense of driving it so that you see the see stuff. See what you want. But we don't it's want real. It, but, it, but, but it also means that you want to make sure you say the right things to yes, get the right sure. stuff there so people can see, oh, it does do an exam. Right. Oh, it does do this. So it's very, been very interesting because I'm not an actor by nature, by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, I'd heard otherwise. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but the, uh, the interesting thing is just seeing the reaction of people in the room because I do think they, they finally realize that, wow, this really could be a game changer, right? The fact that, wow, I don't, I'm, not touching a, I'm not touching a mouse. I'm not clicking my keyboard. This is all just happening. And, uh, and this is very interesting because that really does change my dynamic and my interaction with the patient. It really goes back to, gee, when I started when we were in paper notes, which was I went in and talked to the patient, and right. then I went out and wrote my notes. And that was it. Oh, you didn't do it concurrently? No, 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 no. And I didn't look at the note the entire time I was sitting there. And I well, no, it. but I, I mean, I do remember sort of hand-scratching. Oh, hand-scratching stuff. Sort of, but, but it's a lot different. I couldn't read any of it, yeah, to right. be clear. You are hand-scratching stuff, but your interaction is yeah. real. Yes. Here, I, I mean, I went to the doctor the other day, and they were typing everything I was saying. It was a, That's a very different It is. Very it's different a very situation. different interaction, yeah. yeah. So, I, I, so one of the other things that I, I've, I've sort of, asked about and you know is is of i i don't want to say uh, concern but you know it feels like a little bit of a change for physicians um you know is is that the way that you would ordinarily react or interact with them is there a change in the way that you sort of see that versus in your current uh clinical practice well i think it's very disruptive from what they're currently doing Uh right so the current process is to be involved right having to look things up when you're in the room or, or pull the, pull your keyboard in or or be doing that. Um, so this is, this is very different the way we've been, we've, we've disruptively forced them to change from the previous world to where they are now. Now it's another disruption, right? We're going, we're going to back to say, no, you really want to be interacting with the patient, not with this, um, this record, but the record has power and we want to get the most out of that record too. Right? So, but let let technology bridge that gap, not you as the physician being the bridge to that that gap. So I'm I, I'm intrigued. So you're as a physician, you're interacting with this and looking at it through the physician eyes, and I've seen the demo. I uh, you know incredibly impressed with the sort of concept, and you know I'd actually heard that you specifically tend to drive things in slightly different directions and come up with new terms. But what about the patient? I know the patient is a, a you know it's not a real patient, obviously. I, have you had any sort of feedback on the patient interaction as they see this going on? Well, what's the experience? Yeah, a couple of things. I think it was, it's interesting as some people came out, they've said, gee, as a patient, I, it was neat being able to see what I said or what the patient was saying, right? Um, and, wow. and, and, you know, and to think about all that information there and being built, um, you know, potentially in front of the patient. So, so the other thing that occurs to me about that is that it, it actually gives, it empowers the patients about the information Absolutely. that they're delivering in a Absolutely. way that, you know, today, okay, they wrote it down, but what did they really write down? Yeah. Whereas this is actually a... It's right there? Yeah. Yep, exactly. And yeah. it was sort of an interesting, because people came out not looking at through the eyes of the provider. They right. actually, a couple of people came out and were talking about... Hey, from a patient perspective, this is really yeah. cool because yeah. um, I could see everything. But then the power of the patient-driven document. Think about the fact that you could be in the office and you could just start talking about your problem. And the technology can 
put that problem into the place where now as a physician walking in, they already know what the problem is yeah. because you've described it. Yeah. And I could actually pepper them with, with, um, uh, with virtual assistant interactions because of their certain diagnosis that would drive them down already to get half of the half of the interaction already done before they walked into the room. And the potential is just dynamic because it is just talking right. about what you're doing. It, it doesn't require skills of typing. Um, and so, I, you know, I have to ask because I hear it from other people. Um, you, you know, you look at that potentially and you go, could, could I make the physician disappear and yeah. just have an, uh, I, I mean, really, yeah, you yeah. know? You think that way, I, you know, at the end of the day, um, yeah, that may be a hundred years from now. Um, I guess uh, you're still a physician driving the conversation, right? Um, and it's still that that knowledge base that you have as a physician, yep. and that experience as a physician that gets you down the right right path. Um, that's the art of medicine. Um, but to give the physicians more tools to do that art better, that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. All right. Well, so uh, just remains for me to thank you for yep, coming to absolutely. join us. Um, always a pleasure to catch up. Very excited about, you know, some of the innovations and where this is taking us. Um, I would say it's, it's never been about the technology. Technology has always been about augmenting yes, um, the people. Bell says, and, you know, I firmly believe, I think this is very much an augmentation um, versus a replacement. Um, excited to see where it's going. Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to uh, join us. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right. See you Thanks. Later, <laughs> so this is Dr. Nick. I'm here live at uh, HIMSS 2019, and I'm live streaming on Healthcare Now Radio and uh, Health Innovation Media. We're on booth 3345, and uh, it's so exciting to have another physician. We're on a physician role, I'm that just going to say. The way it should be, right? It really should. Bam. And I'm joined by Dr. Razu Shrestra. He is, and I would have said something else, but I'm not going to. He has a new job, so I'm yeah. going to let him tell us. It's really exciting. I think you're like um, single-digit days or something into this. So, Razu, thanks for joining us. Tell, us. tell us what's going on. Absolutely. So, after 12 years in Pittsburgh, uh, where I was last the chief innovation officer, I transitioned over to a new role, and I'm now the chief strategy officer at Atrium Health. This is day 12, also the magic 12 number here Oh, today. so it was double digits. Yeah, I was, right, I double was digits. close yeah, to we wrong. Very close. I think maybe I saw you like three days ago. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So chief strategy officer for Atrium Health, which is the Carolina's healthcare system, 50 hospitals across North and South Carolina, just acquired uh, a new hospital group in the Georgia area, uh, Navicent Health, and a, and a health system that really already has tremendous impact across the community, so much potential in terms of innovation and investment, but reinventing the future of healthcare. So could not be more excited to be part of the Atrium Health family. It's very cool. And, you know, the other thing that's kind of neat about this for me, because as I think back to history, I want to say we met because of speech recognition. I think you jumped into that UPMC role. Yeah. I was involved in that. Yeah. That was really part of the history. And you were heavily involved in speech at the time. Absolutely, I was. I remember even back in the Los Angeles days, so before I moved to not-so-sunny Pittsburgh from Southern California. Did you just declare not-so-sunny Pittsburgh? Well, look, This is live stream, you know. So, look, I'm all about the reality <laughs> of how things are. And I love Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was home for me for the last 12 years. Who do you but, support? Steelers, of course. Okay. Yeah, but I know my second favorite team now. 
oh, the Carolina do? Panthers. <laughs> <laughs> right. So before I moved to uh, Pittsburgh, I'd been involved in really pushing speech recognition, speech technologies forward, really right. not just in, in terms of championing the workflows, but the specific aspects of the technological frameworks of what it means to leverage speech in the everyday challenges that we have as busy clinicians and radiologists in particular in the embrace of speech technology. Then, you know, it's like Groundhog Day all over again because these newer technological capabilities keep on coming up and now right. we have other things like AI and, and, and machine learning and deep learning and so much more blockchain. My goodness, all these capabilities that I think scream at us and call our attention. But for folks like you and I who are grounded in our clinical backgrounds, I think it's really important for us to understand what it means to really leverage these technologies to make meaningful impact on the ground, not just latch on to a buzzword and put a check mark on that checkbox saying, yes, we have AI. <laughs> right? so, we do. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So um, you've long experience, lots of uh, uh, innovation in you know, your previous role. What are you looking forward to? So you're obviously at HIMSS, you're, you're looking around. I, I know it's early days, but you obviously didn't walk into this job going, okay, what's going on? You've got lots of uh, you know, thoughts and ideas. Tell us a little bit about what you're thinking about where this is going to go. What's, what, what are the opportunities from your perspective? So it's really interesting. I mean, look, it's 12 days into my new role, and I, you know, I'm not one to jump in and say, here's how things need to be done, because this is what I... No can be done. You've got to contextualize it to the specifics of the organization that you're with. There are reasons behind why decisions, a lot of them great decisions, have been made over time, right? So that's where I'm at, is I'm understanding the specifics of the, the organization that I now belong to and the opportunities and the challenges that exist out there. But I'm going in also with specific guidelines and, and frameworks that I know need to be embraced. For example... I think it's really important, and this is generally speaking across the industry, it's important for us to bust those silos, right? Silo busting, I think, is number one. So did anything happen this week that maybe helped with the silo busting? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I think all of these nudges that are happening, and sometimes right. they're more than nudges. I, right? I just want to say incremental. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Steps. That's right, Nick. <laughs> Your old mantra, again, holds true and holds there, water. Right? Yeah. So silo busting is important. Number two, I think it's important once we bust those silos to build those bridges, right? And proudly, coming from Pittsburgh after having spending, spent 12 <laughs> years there, you've got to build more bridges. Right? And whether it's bridges across those silos that we've referenced in the past or bridges across partnerships right. that need to be meaningful across the industry, bridges between not just healthcare but other industries outside of healthcare even, public-private policy, all of those intersections where it's really at the confluence of those intersections that you achieve meaningful change. And then the third element really is understanding the culture of the organization or any organization for that right. matter and getting culture right. So those are the three, I'd say, guiding principles with which I'm looking um, at the opportunities at hand. So you, you've got um, a, a big portfolio. There's lots going on. If you were to pick you know, those nudges or incremental for somebody else, you know, that maybe doesn't have, um, you know, the resources available. What, what would you start with? Where would you sort of pick your initial focus? I, I think we're fortunate to be at a time in the journey through healthcare where we have all of these digital assets all around us. We're also fortunate 
to be in a time in our journey through healthcare where there are actually meaningful partnership opportunities where regardless of where you are in that spectrum of capability and spectrum of size and scope around your specific organization, you have the opportunity to really take advantage of all of the different advancements that have been made around you through the power of meaningful partnerships right. and really accelerate yourself and catch up with and potentially be able to then overtake even the others around you, right? But it really then boils down to the specifics of how you look at partnerships, finding the right, not just technologies, but the right willing partners with the right sense of urgency, with the right sense of shared values to you, the institution, and getting stuff done. Yeah, so that's that's a, a recurring theme, certainly online. I know you participate. You're a big sort of, you're a social media ambassador. Um, it, it, it's that community that brings us all together. Yeah. So um, yeah. very excited about that. I know you're a busy guy. Um, I, I just really appreciate you taking Thank the time you. to yeah. stop by. Um, I wish you the utmost of luck um, and good fortune in this new role. I'm excited to watch it and you know, I'll tag along. I'm hanging on to the coattails occasionally with you. So um, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Nick. And, you know, the reality is that we're all in this together. Uh, it takes the power of partnerships and us elevating it to the umpteenth level for us to actually make meaningful change happen. So thank you, Nick. All right. All right. Thank you very much. That was Razu Shrestha, folks. Um, and uh, excited to have uh, been able to grab him and uh, nab him to come over uh, and join the live stream. So um, very excited about that. Um, so this is Dr. Nick. I'm uh, live streaming from uh, HIMSS 2019. I'm on booth 3345 uh, with Health Innovation Media, and we're live streaming with Healthcare Now Radio. We've got uh, several more exciting guests to uh, come up, but uh, Anish uh, Chopra will be joining us shortly, but uh, Fred has come back. Um, he spent the last uh, 30 minutes or so uh, uh, walking around the, uh, um, the halls to find out what else is going on, what's been happening. So I want to discuss something interesting that kind of exactly fits in with what Nuance is doing, what you've seen here and I've seen here at the booth, and that is we, were, we did our annual interview with Dr. Kaveh Safavi this morning, and he had a recent piece in Forbes where they asked him about what's, gonna, what's coming. He talked about specifically machine learning. And he said, this, this machine learning and AI is going to come into healthcare, and what it's going to do is create efficiencies. And those efficiencies are going to be where somebody can be examining a patient and talk them through the exam and not have to sit there and document in the chart. He said, you know, it's very clear that when the EHRs came in, they created a 15% or so inefficiency in the clinical practice. So it's something, you know, we've How seen much? 15% was his statement. Wow. And so think you, about recovering all that amount right. of time, energy, resources, whatever that sort of equates to. And as we've discussed a number of times, looking for, well, who's taking costs out of the system? That's the key. And so, so this is an example of that. It's a use of technology and IT to create the efficiencies. Yes, it'll improve quality and outcomes and patient satisfaction, but it's clearly going to also improve efficiencies. All right, so thanks for uh, filling in there, uh, Fred. It's always good. See what else you can find out in the intervening time. Um, in the meantime, uh, we've had the fortune of uh, picking up, yes, another physician. We're on a complete physician role. Um, 
I think we're uh, if we can go 100%, this will be a fantastic podcast. I'm just going to say because I'm I'm a little bit biased. So uh, this is Dr. Nick. I'm the incrementalist. I'm live streaming from Hims 2019, booth 3345, uh, Nuances booth, um, with Healthcare Now Radio. And I'm just delighted to be joined by Hal Baker, an old friend, uh, physician, and a unique physician um, in the you, you, I, you still practice medicine, but you do something else on the side, right? Uh, yes, I'm a, I work for Wellspan Health. We're in South Central Pennsylvania. We're a, about a $2.7 uh, billion dollar integrated delivery network, um, and I'm a chief information and senior vice president of clinical improvement, which is quality and safety. And so, so not only did you take on the, the clinical side of things and, you know, the CMIO type typical role, but you've taken on full on all of the technology and the innovation in, uh, in, in the facility. Uh, nominally, yes. So there's a lot of other people, obviously, in a great team uh, there. But uh, it's been uh, a really interesting opportunity to try to bring the IT and the clinical purpose and the clinical caring together in an effective way. Uh, and try to make sure that the cool stuff that's being done becomes tools that really change people's lives and uh, allow the humanity back in healthcare. Yeah, so um, I, I know time is uh, brief, and you know I'm grateful that you made the time. I, I know you had the opportunity to go through the experience. I'm curious to get your sort of read and how you've seen that develop over the course of time with this sort of new innovation, new application of AI and speech. Uh, in the healthcare setting. Uh, well, my my favorite thing of this whole session has been seeing uh, the ambient voice uh, this year, and I've watched it from a fairly nascent product uh, that was developed called Florence many years ago. Um, and I along remember. the way, uh, we've seen Siri and Alexa. Um, but what what the uh, listeners probably can't appreciate is sitting in a room and watching a doctor interact with a patient. And I've watched it twice, and the, and the narratives are different, mm-hmm. um, and it's not canned, and it's not yep. recorded, and it's not scripted. Uh, and seeing that pop up in remarkably accurate uh, context of the verbal interaction, but then having it rendered into the medicalese necessary to support the billing and business of medicine. And I was reacting to why this year felt so much different than last year. And last year, like with Alexa or Siri, you had to say, hey, Alexa, hey, Siri, hey, Dragon. Uh, and the artificial intelligence was a bit jealous, a bit needy. It had to be remembered. It had to be called out. Uh, now it just quietly has slipped into the background, and there is constant eye, tact, eye contact between the patient and the provider. And, you know, in, in primary care, um, where I still practice, you know, every nine seconds is 1% of the office visit. And if you wow. think about that, nine seconds and it seems like not a lot to do some clicking around but every time you take that attention to the computer you're taking away from the patient um and very few patients come out complaining that the doctor spent too much time with me <laughs> and that reactivation that's just an astounding statistic so it, it, it's the passive nature of putting that technology into the the room as it almost disappears and becomes a, a, a you know part of the experience, but you don't know that it's there. Right. There is no um, there is no action of invoicing to the healthcare business uh, that normally is an inevitable part of the encounter because uh, bills have to be paid, um, claims have to be uh, submitted, and so there's a required um, 
specific syntax that has to be generated to allow a billable note. Uh, this allows that note to be rendered through a, um, a natural interview technique uh, and doesn't rob any of that 15-minute time frame of the human interaction that really is the reason most caregivers went into healthcare. All right, so um, uh, I'm Dr. Nick. I'm the incrementalist. I'm live uh, from HIMSS 2019. Uh, just been talking with Hal Baker. I just uh, want to thank you for making the time. Really appreciate it. I know you're exceptionally busy. Um, it's been a great pleasure uh, catching up. Thanks yeah. for stopping by. Great to see you again. So this is Dr. Nick. I'm uh, the incrementalist. I'm here live at uh, HIMSS 2019 uh, with Healthcare Now Radio. And we are Health Innovation Media, and we're streaming live, and very excited to be joined by Anish Chopra. He is the president of Care Journey. Anish, thank you for making the time to come and join well, us. Oh, I'm excited, and thanks for having me. So what an exciting hymns. It, it is. You know, it, it gets bigger and better, and, you know, who knows what's going to happen yeah. next year. So um, I know you're on stage. Um, uh-huh. I, I heard great things uh, from some of the feedback and some of the Thank interactions. You. I Thank think you. people really liked, uh, you know, the refreshing view. Part of that comes, and, you know, m- maybe not everybody knows your background, but it would be helpful just to get a little bit of perspective sure. as to how you got to this point yeah. um, on your healthcare journey and healthcare technology. Yeah, so John Halamka, who we love in this industry... Uh, and I used to ride the M2 shuttle bus when I was a graduate student at Harvard. No kidding, I did 90s. not know that. <laughs> and so I was a, a graduate student on the Kennedy School side. He was getting his MIT uh, master's, and we were talking about how the Internet would affect healthcare. And that idea has been nagging at me for years and years and years. I spent a decade at the advisory board company, wrote research studies on, on this topic of the Internet and healthcare, and then uh, spent uh, a good chunk of time in the government. I was Virginia's Secretary of Technology, where healthcare IT was among the first priorities right. that the governor uh, made uh, uh, on my purview. And then President Obama, in naming me Chief Technology Officer, made the healthcare IT portfolio right. a prominent part of the agenda. So this is something that I've been focused on. I'm so proud of what Governor Levitt said yesterday at the very outset of our keynote. This has been a bipartisan endeavor. Yeah. While Washington is whipsaw on healthcare reform, and you're up, you're down, you're in, you're out. As to this issue, and I thought the, uh, the just the visuals yesterday were so refreshing to have uh, Republicans, uh, Seema Varma and, and Governor Levitt, uh, celebrate what uh, we had done in the Obama administration, right. myself and Karen DeSalvo and many others. That's the point, that this happens to be the... Uh, bipartisan focus and hope that if we get this right, it will truly unlock the conundrum around cost and quality that we have to tackle uh, to make the country competitive in the next generation. It's always extraordinary to me when you look at this and and think about what you just said, the idea that, you know, healthcare affects us all. So, I mean, it's a personal journey. Yes. And the idea that this even, you know, has the, the slightest sense of this split of views, how could we possibly be different in our viewpoints? We're all pulling for the same direction yes. for our family, our yes. parents, our children. Um, so it, it's exciting that we do see a little bit more of that community. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the yeah. uh, discussions that you had for those that, you know, uh, people listening. Yes. Um, 
in that panel. So I, I know there were some key points that came out of, yeah, of that. I, I would say there were three things that came out of the panel that I think would be useful for the audience. One, through the fog and clouds, there's now certainty, I should say clear regulatory pathways, that the consumer has the right to their entire health record in a machine-readable format available to an application of their choice. And that just unequivocal statement when it comes to no fees, it's got to be machine-readable, it's got to be open APIs, it is just a clear bedrock principle. Absolutely. And that feels terrific. Second, it introduces the notion that health plans, who are heretofore exempt from any of these interoperability rules, they now have to step up and uh, sort out how they're going to provide claims history and other care coordination services. So that just introduces the plans into the equation. And CMS is leading by example. That led to a chuckle in the room where Governor Levitt said, we now have a government that has led the private sector in opening up data to consumers. And that made him set the mantra that it's now the private sector's time to come back. Yep. And then last but not least, uh, I, I, I may refer to this as the net neutrality provision, which is uh, all of the data holders, and that could be vendors, it could be health systems, doctor's offices, data holders, uh, understand that opening up this data will incur some cost, the infrastructure cost of API management, API gateways. And uh, there is now a provision that allows them to recoup those costs. So there's an acknowledgement there. But, and this is why I think of it as net neutrality, the cost must relate to truly the cost structure associated and that the value-added services, which are today bundled in how the data is used in the real world, now you have to compete on a level playing field so you can't preferentially treat your app preferenced by access to the data versus a competitor's app. And that feels very net neutrality-esque and that's very exciting for me that we've got a now a, a kind of a business model for the future of healthcare data, which is exciting all around. Yeah, I, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't recall who coined net neutrality just in general, I, you know, a core principle in terms of, you know, sharing of information. But I love the idea from a healthcare standpoint, the idea that that's not the case is, you know, just terrible. That's right. So a little bit of time left. Tell us what you're doing and, you know, what's going on in your world. You've, you've had a yeah. really exciting journey. It's been a lot of fun. But you're not finished. No. Look, I have uh, I run a company called Care Journey, and ostensibly we focus on extracting insights from Medicare data to help payers, pharma companies, and providers understand their role in this move to value. That's the narrow focus, extracting insight out of the Medicare data for, for them. But more broadly, the dream is to be an operating system for health information fiduciaries. I believe there'll be a new crop of healthcare entities that are akin to what you do with Vanguard and Fidelity, mm-hmm. where you entrust a human uh, with your information and you develop a plan and you better navigate the financial options that are available to you. I believe a health information fiduciary might help you shop for a health plan, pick a primary care doctor, make judgments about whether and how you access the delivery system. And those folks are going to want to organize your health information, run some decision support. We ostensibly would like to be the operating system that would support said entity. Could it be a retailer? Could it be a pharma company? Could it be a doctor's office, an ACO, a health plan? I view it as all of the above. We'll see a competitive marketplace of organizations saying, entrust me with your data. We'll help you make better decisions. We just want to be the, call it the operating system inside to make sure that the information that they get is processed and used to understand the role that 
that uh, value-based care, care will make in their lives. So that's the hope. So I, I love the concept, but I, I, I want to tweak you a little bit Please. and say, you know, you, you picked Vanguard specifically. Yeah. And they're out in a whole different zone when we talk about investment strategy and tracking and lower yes. costs. Do you see that as part of that picture and maybe you as the vanguard in this? Well, we don't want to be the service okay. delivery, but we hope that there will be vanguard-like services okay. that will help you make smarter choices. Well, on any research uh, study written about the uh, efficacy of the decisions we make in healthcare, uh, there's because of the information asymmetry, we find ourselves making less uh, helpful decisions. People that pick plans often pay more than they right. should. Yep. People who pick primary care doctors often lack access to the services they're yep. entitled to, and on and on and on. So my presumption here is that uh, I do hope Walmarts of the world, which are like Vanguard, may appear as partners in this journey. Uh, but there may also be premium healthcare delivery systems that say we want to do this uh, just as well. So that, to me, is the big vision that we're going to see a new market emerge of existing potential players as well as new entrants to say, let's help you. And if we remember that video game Frogger where you're trying to safely navigate to the other no, side. before my time. My, exactly. <laughs> well, in theory, if we could help people navigate the delivery system a right. little bit smarter, uh, we might actually uh, get to a lower cost, higher value delivery system faster yep. than if we waited for every touch point in the system to improve its quality and outcomes. So that's fantastic. I just want to say, you know, also a recurring opportunity because it's every year, I know, because we all go through it, yes, right? Yes, it is. Um, so it just remains to thank you for taking thank the you. time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. It. I know you're extremely busy. Thanks for joining me here on I uh, love it. Healthcare Thanks for Radio. having me. Keep up the great work. This is Dr. Nick. I'm live from HIMSS 2019 on Healthcare Now Radio, and uh, we are live streaming uh, from Nuance booth 3345, and we are uh, uh, delighted to be welcoming a new guest uh, onto the program, uh, Dr. John Matheson. He is the assistant uh, director um, uh, for uh, Kaiser Permanente, um, and uh, delighted to have uh, yet another physician. We're on a roll with uh, physicians for the show. Uh, John, thanks for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Nick. Good to see you again. Uh, always a pleasure. Um, I, you and I have uh, long had uh, interactions. I know you've been in this space and, and, and indeed since, in, since the Bronze Age. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel a little bit like that, too. Um, <laughs> and you've seen lots of things going on, lots of experiences. I've certainly heard lots of uh, um, your presentations as you've sort of thought about the future and where things are going. Before we get into that, wanted to just get a little bit of perspective for the listeners, hear a little bit about you, who you are, and how you got to the place where you are, and your sort of perspective on the, the technology journey. Sure. Well, I like to describe myself as a recovering uh, marine biologist and evolutionary biologist, and uh, then I went to medical school, and now I'm uh, practiced in a number of different specialties, and I'm a recovering physician. And I have written code and, and designed a number of systems we've taken to scale, um, at Kaiser Permanente, where I've been Chief Medical Information Officer, and so I'm now a recovering geek. Um, and Do you ever recover from that? Uh, no, no, no. I hope not. Uh, no, no, it, recovery is an ongoing process. Okay. Yeah, and so now I'm recovering from being CMIO, so I'm actually uh, beginning 
to live a, ver- a, a new dream. And the new dream for me is I'm going to be working with some of the smartest folks I've had the privilege of meeting wow. um, during my career and helping to accelerate product development through various roles in, uh, in a, a variety of different venues. So I'm, uh, my, my passion is around, uh, you know, really creating a behavioral symphony of wellness um, to overcome all of the negative environmental cues that we have for our right. health and fitness. Um, and to do that through the use of modern technology and, and restore some of the ancient wisdom uh, as represented in things like the Blue Zones, where right. yep. we realize that you don't need uh, necessarily the latest pharmaceutical or the latest surgery to have good health. So there's a lot more involved in good health uh, than that. So how to, how to leverage this glorious convergence of exponential technologies in ways that help restore ancient wisdom and gen- genuinely produce health and happiness as opposed to reactive disease care. So that's, I'm, I'm stepping into uh, uh, a very new role in that I'm going to be much more directly involved with uh, the development of new technologies and the convergence of those technologies. So there's a lot to unpack there that I, I want to dig into a little bit. So you talk about the sort of ancient wisdom, and part of me feels like, you, you know, for a long time, humanity was pretty good at some of this stuff, maybe, yes. and, yes. you know, we've sort of failed. So interested in your perception and, you know, what's being applied there. There's the whole CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and making the right choices. But, but let's start on the blue zones, because one of the things that's really intriguing to me about those is when you look at them, you can't pull out single things or, you know, even exactly broad right. groups of, oh, well, this is what we do. What's going on? You just, you just nailed it, Nick. <laughs> um, that is the problem, is that healthcare is trying to, to solve population care and disease management purely through a healthcare lens. The educational system is trying to solve education purely through an educational lens. Um, the legal system is dealing with issues purely through a legal lens. The first responders are looking at things through their lens. The social workers are looking at it through their lens. And historically, uh, we've been, our communities have been very siloed. And the beauty of the ancient wisdom has been that we've been much more integrated in our communities and much more integrated in our thinking about um, what constitutes a healthy life and what constitutes a meaningful life. And what I'm passionate about and have been uh, all along is how do we bring together, how do we catalyze and stimulate and create communities around health so that there's coordination because many of these problems associated with the diseases and disorders of lifestyle, starting off with obesity, but, but running straight into right. diabetes, heart disease, cancer, stroke, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, those are all intimately scientifically connected with disorders of lifestyle. How do we, rather than try and solve these piecemeal through each of those silos, how do we begin thinking about healthy communities? Um, that generate health. And, and the author, Dan Butner of Blue Zones, has just published his latest book of Blue Zones of Happiness. And he's looked at cities around the world to see what are the things that constitute mm-hmm. the infrastructural aspects and the cultural aspects of healthy communities. And so I think there's a huge opportunity there, to, just like we're seeing here at Hims, in the convergence of exponential technologies towards much more powerful solutions. We're starting to see the movement that I would like to help catalyze, and that is around the convergence of community resources towards a behavioral symphony of wellness, so that instead of seeing a billboard that says, you deserve a break today, 
go eat a Big Mac, <laughs> there will be much more healthier cues. And, and I think that there are ways that other cultures have done this, uh, both way back in history as well as contemporaneously. And I think that we have a golden opportunity. And I think 2019 is a pivot year. I think we're seeing an awakening to the fact that all these silent solutions, whether it's in technology or community resources uh, or smart cities, that the siloed approach is not going to get us where we want to go. It is the convergence. And so both at the technology level and at the community level, uh, I think the opportunities are just, just glorious. So interesting you bring up the, uh, you know, blue zones of happiness. I wonder, I, I'm willing to bet that uh, De Denmark is, um, you know, high on that list. There was a, a corresponding book that sort of looked at that a year of living Denmark, initially. Denmark has done some really astonishing, they don't, they don't call people uh, unemployed there. They're they're just they're they're between jobs. Right. And and there's there's whole constructs. What a of, simple idea, right? Yeah, exactly. And 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 what's in a name? What's in a word? A lot. Yeah. Um, and so how we and and it, this is not about words, but words are a manifestation of deeper thinking and deeper yep. sentiment and deeper value sets. And so depriving people of dignity um, is one of the things that the yeah. siloed approach has has uh, inadvertently um, uh, delivered. And so I think a lot of the conflict that we see uh, on the global stage and the polarization we see on the global stage is a direct consequence of, of not listening to each other, not paying attention to our common values, not reinforcing our common values and reaching across uh, cultural and philosophical uh, boundaries and and creating more coherent solutions. So is, is your concept in part uh, digital blue zones? Can we create create communities in the same way and, and make them digital and have the same... Not, not so much. No? Not so much. I think that, that technology is always a tool and, so it, and technology it, can it be... Facilitate it. Yeah, a catalyst and facilitator, right. absolutely. But structurally, it must be based upon human principles, human behaviors, human values. Right. Um, and then the technology be aligned with those values okay. in ways that conform to a social construct that is inclusive. Yep. Um, and uh, particularly that focuses on early childhood experiences. So right. Frederick Douglass has famously said, it is much easier to create strong, resilient children than it is to repair broken men. Yeah. And so in this community-based approach, we really need, if you look at the 18, 19% of GDP being spent on disease care in the United States, if, if a fraction of that were reallocated to building healthy habits in young children, better parenting skills and parents for how to build resilience into their children, how to give them the healthy habits that are evident in the blue zones and the blue, blue zones of health and blue zones of happiness, then um, I believe, and, and there's an economist at University of Chicago who's actually studied this and shown a 7x return on investment right. for early childhood development and investment. And so we can't abandon the, the kind of care that we can deliver um, uh, for people who are already sick, but at the same time, if we don't see a systematic shift in resources towards investing in our children, we are just going to be chasing our tails forever with better technology, but nonetheless right. remaining a disease care state. So back to your question, are these going to be digital health communities? They'll be digitally augmented communities of health and wellness and happiness. And I think that, that there are experiments going on around the world and around the country right now 
Um, and I think that to the extent that we can apply some of the fruits of our labors in the digital technology revolution, particularly around the convergence of technologies in support of, in alignment with those kinds of healthy communities, uh, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna see a pivot in how we conceive of health itself um, that is long overdue. 2019 pivot here, Absolutely. pivot year. You heard it here first. Just saying prediction. Um, so let's uh, talk a little bit about CBT uh, behavioral sure. therapy and sure. you know those nudges. Right. Uh, you know one of the sort of recurring themes I always have is. You know, people don't get up in the morning going, how can I be unhealthy? How, I, how, you know, how am I not going to right. exercise? And we know there's all of these impacts. How do we change that? What, what, what's been your sort of experience and potential to sort of turn that around? We, we, right. we, have, we need right. a 180, right? Right. And so we can't boil the ocean and fix everybody's problem overnight. Yeah. But um, one of the things that's really inspired me is the work done by uh, Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler in the book Connected. And what they looked at is the propagation of so-called non-communicable diseases like obesity yeah. and unhealthy habits right. through social networks. And they behave as if they were it's, a virus. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It, it, it? To classify them as non-communicable is really misleading because they're very communicable diseases. Right. Yeah. And so, I think what we need to do is we need to be we need to be able to build uh, beachheads and 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 seed communities with um, a a very tightly reinforced integration of services, particularly focused on children, and then begin to grow that out and scale it. We don't know how to scale this yet. There are lots of, of interesting and encouraging experiments that haven't been scaled. But one of the things that I'm really fascinated by is applying the same kind of rigor, discipline, science, and research to how do you scale community wellness and a behavioral symphony of wellness, starting off with existing communities and bringing the coordination, collaboration, and the technical underpinning support right to create the, the, the core of a healthier existence where your behavioral cues are much more aligned with your own values and obje objectives and priorities so that you're not waking up in the morning thinking, I'm going to be healthy today and just get barraged with unhealthy cues all day long. That's just not the, the solution set that, that works. That's what we have. What we need to do is to be able to create um, at scale many more opportunities for, for just like we say in clinical decision support make the right thing to do the easiest thing to do yeah absolutely. so we need at a community level we need to make the healthiest and the kindest thing right. to do the easiest thing to do so the whole notion of of placing more value on meaning and purpose and kindness and respect and collaboration at the community level is going to help reinforce our first thought in the morning is i want to live a really healthy day today right and rather than pummel it with you deserve a break today go eat a big mac um, we will reinforce it with many more healthy messages about healthy sleeping, healthy socialization, uh, healthy eating, healthy exercise. And when we do that, when we can achieve that at scale um, in one community, we will hopefully be able to replicate that community after community after community. And like Tip O'Neill once said, all politics is local. Well, all change is local and, 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 and all transformation is local. But that being said... And, and the necessity of local leadership is critical, there are going to be formalisms about how you make it easier for inspired communities to achieve their goals 
faster, more safely, more efficiently, and more inexpensively through the use of some of these augmenting technologies. So I, I you know, clearly love that whole concept. I think we're, we're in desperate need, and I, you know, I complete agreement with that need to sort of find those communities and the communicable. The one thing I just want to sort of put my stake in the ground, um, you know, is sleep. And you, you talk about the sort of waking up, but in fact, that's part of the continuum in my view. And, you know, the idea that sleep is just a pillar is, I, I think, false. I think it's the foundation of health and, you know, is an integral part of that. And you mention it, but I, I see it as a sort of, you know, real uh, key element to all of well, there, there, there's pretty incontrovertible scientific evidence that if you're not getting uh, regular sleep, you will weigh more. You will uh, put on the pounds and have all the consequences of that. So really? it's not just diet and exercise. Uh, sleep is included. But I'd also like to highlight what is frequently neglected, and that is the health of our social relationships. So Carnegie right. Mellon did a fantastic study a couple of years ago published in uh, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences where they took hundreds of students and they exposed them all to the same dose of a virus, cold virus, and to see who would get sick and how sick they would get. And then they took their Facebook timeline and they gave them a questionnaire about their social support structures. And what was fascinating is predictably those that had good social support structures were more resilient and resistant to getting infected. And if they did get a cold, their symptoms were less. But in addition to that, if they looked at their timeline, the more hugs they had had in the prior two weeks, the less likely they were to, to get sick or be sicker than their uh, those who did get sick in the cohort. And one of the fascinating things is that when you have a healthy social support infrastructure, you're much more resilient to stress. So you could be under more stress than someone without that support structure and be less at risk of getting sick than they are. So more stress but a healthier support structure, you're better off than less stress without a healthy social support structure. Fantastic stuff. John, I want to thank you for making the time. I know you're a busy uh, guy at this show. There's lots going on. So thank you for joining us here uh, on Healthcare Now Radio, uh, live from HIMSS 2019. My pleasure. Thanks, Nick. So this is Dr. Nick. I'm the incrementalist. Uh, we're here live at HIMSS 2019. Uh, that was Dr. John Matheson. Um, uh, and uh, we are now joined by uh, Jake O'Leary. He is the Senior Vice President of uh, Healthcare Research and Development at Nuance. Jake, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Nick. So um, for, for those of the uh, uh, folks that are listening, it's always helpful. I, I've had the privilege of knowing you and uh, some of your background, but it'd be helpful to understand a little bit about you, the individual, what got you to this point and this role within the organization. Yep, absolutely. So, Nick, I've been with uh, I've been with Nuance for a little over ten years now uh, in a leadership role inside of R&D. As you said, I currently run R&D for the healthcare division. Um, uh, prior to joining Nuance, I was I was uh, also inside of healthcare in an R&D leadership role. I was at a uh, an EMR company, um, and I started my career through computer science and, and got my degree in computer science. And uh, I worked at some early stage companies and I worked at a startup company for, for quite a long time uh, and I had a lot of experience working in that type of environment and then I started working in larger companies in the EMR company and then inside of Nuance at a much larger scale um, and I think you know over the years through through my experiences you know what got me here today is obviously just um, I think a, a passion for healthcare actually and a passion for technology uh, 
I've always had the passion for technology. And then when I started working in the healthcare space, I realized I actually also have a passion for healthcare, which was pretty cool. Um, and I think we all do because yeah. it's personal, right? Yeah, it, it is personal. So, um, so yeah, I mean, here I am, and, and inside of Nuance, um, it's been it's been a great it's been a great journey and a great experience and, and run here, right? I mean, where do you get the opportunity to work with um, both within healthcare and with such you know a great number of professionals with experience and passion inside of healthcare, but as a technologist. We have a vast community of technologists inside of research, uh, a research organization that I personally never had experience with prior to joining a company like Nuance um, that actually do real deep long-term research trying to advance the state of the art of technology. Um, and that's something that's, you know, that's pretty cool. It's pretty real. And, and uh, now it's become the new normal for me, right? And, and trying to influence that and lead that in the company and obviously here we are today with all the technologies we're showing in the booth it's it's a great time to be a technologist right yep absolutely so uh tell us a little bit about the journey of you know that innovation you've obviously been in this space um watching the changes watching certainly the challenges that we've seen um i know it's not been easy i'm i'm, I'm interested to understand what were there some inflection points were there some learning points where you go Whoa, wow, that really made a difference. Yeah, um, so the journey. So it's there's a couple of, of things about the journey that, that stand out to me. Um, one is, um, you know, if I look back in time, the journey around innovation seemed to take much longer. Mm -hmm. um, it happened over a course of years. Uh, and as we comp compare and contrast that to today, things are happening in a period of months, right? As technologists, the technology that we're working with is constantly changing at a much faster pace than ever. And then as a software company, we're putting out technology at a much faster pace, as is the industry, than ever. And so advances that, you know, took nuance uh, decades to, you know, ultimately bring speech to the masses. Uh, now we're at a point where we're bringing other forms of AI and intelligence to the masses and it's going to be over a period of a couple of years, right, right, that these technologies are advancing. And that's just a factor of, you know, the state of technology, the state of transformation across, you know, technology and different companies and the introduction of cloud and AI is exploding, uh, the availability of data. Uh, and so the world is moving much faster, and luckily technology is as well. So I, as you look at those elements that contribute, um, how important is that availability of data? Is that uh, is that a major feature? Or is it just a sort of it's it's a, a a passing element of all of this? No, I mean, it doesn't take much to you know read about AI these days and and uh, machine learning and and the dependency on data and you know we've always I think we've taken some of that for granted inside of Nuance because of our our. Uh, deep uh, experience working with data and familiarity with that and those types of techniques, leveraging data, as well as our, our broad network of hospitals and customers that we work with who trust us with their data and working with them. Um, and so we're able to, to use that data to advance the technologies like no other. We've been doing that for many, many years. Right. And so now all of a sudden that we find ourselves with a whole new set of technologies that need to be built in AI, uh, the fact that those are data dependent is nothing new to us. Um, and we don't take it for granted. Um, and in fact, we all know that data is king, right? And, and, and so we value it and we value our relationships and those partnerships that we have with our hospitals and our providers. 
Yeah, so, I, and it's interesting, having been involved in this for a long time as well, so part of me thinks that, you know, this, this concept of AI is really just a natural progression for something that's been going on for a long time in uh, the nuanced space. The, the NLP was essentially a version of AI, right? Yeah, we've, we've been doing, I mean, this is going back to your, your point about innovation. This has been part of our journey and AI has been part of our journey. Look, we've been trying to bring NLP inside of healthcare for many years. We tried a decade ago, uh, more than that, and it wasn't the right time. It, it, it failed, right? And that's innovation, right? We brought it forward. There was failures. The market wasn't right. The technology wasn't right. The, the, the needs weren't right, you know, it, for the providers. Um, and here we are years later now, all of a sudden, where it seems to be the perfect time for technologies like NLU because there's all these use cases. There's, there's all of these opportunities to bring this forward. Uh, the technology's matured. I think the general market's awareness and appreciation has kind of opened up as well. And so here we are now bringing technologies like NLU that we've been working on for many, many decades and using across a bunch of different verticals inside of Nuance. Right. Yep. Now we're bringing it to bear inside of healthcare, and it's nothing, it's nothing new to us. It's just a matter of it's the right time. But why did it take so long? Yeah. I wish I had that answer. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I just, I don't think, I go back. Don't think, worry, everybody's the same. You know. Yeah, we don't have, there is no right answer. I think, you know, like what, what are the right use cases, right? What are the yeah. right opportunities mm-hmm. and intersecting that with the problems that doctors were facing at that point in time or providers were facing at that point in time? And where was the state of maturity of all the other technologies that are being thrown at doctors and all the, all the other, you know, constraints that are put on doctors? And I think it's, we've now reached an inflection point where, Everything's kind of come to a head. There's plenty of opportunities for problems to solve. Yep. I think there's a base level set of technology maturing that's happened. Everyone's comfortable more or less with the cloud and trusting the cloud. Well, that's the perfect time now to leverage technologies like NLU that need to take advantage of data, massive processing. That stuff needs to happen in the cloud. I think, you know, the market overall is comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just one, you know, one way Fantastic. I think about it. So we've got a couple of minutes left. Just um, get your thoughts about some of the innovation, uh, you know, that we're seeing today. It is pretty cool. We've heard from a, a stream of clinicians, uh, internal, external. I, I think, you know, the, the prevailing view is, wow. Uh, tell me your thoughts about that. Yeah. So my thoughts about it. So I agree. It's wow. <laughs> right? It's, it's wow. It's, it's, um, oh, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look, it, my thoughts are it's invigorating, right? It, it is driving a passion inside the organization, inside of nuance, where there's a strong belief, there's a commitment to seeing this vision through to the end. It's, uh, and it's, so it's, it's charging the entire organization and giving us a, a, a new, new, new outlook on, on our mission and on our passion and what, why we are here and what's the next chapter for nuance going beyond speech. Um, and so I personally connect to that story as well. I think it's done the same for me as a leader, as an individual, and as a technologist where it's reignited me. It's given me more passion. The teams have passion. And, and so that's a, that's a big part of it for me. And, and, yeah, now we've got to get it done, and we've got to deliver on that commitment. We've got to deliver on the vision. I don't think, you know, walking around the showroom floor, seeing all the different vendors, understanding where everyone is, we're, we're in – we're in the perfect position to help solve these problems, nuance, because of our access to data, our access to the technology that we have. I mean, the technology that we're showing downstairs in the vision uh, with ACI 
those are technologies that we've had nuance has across our various businesses right, right? voice biometrics yep. Yep. Uh, where we're actually doing speech diarization we're understanding the patient versus the doctor does technology we have in the car we're bringing all these technologies to bear speech medical domain no one does it like nuance these things are all coming together right and it's perfect for us to stitch it together now and bring these solutions to the market so it's awesome it's exciting and and uh, I, I feel a little honored actually to be a part of it that's very cool so um, just remains for me to thank you for taking uh, the time I know you're busy there's lots going on very excited about the journey certainly the uh, passion that we can feel certainly seeing it um, in some of the discussions. Uh, thanks for joining me today. All right. Dick. Thank you for having me. This is Dr. Nick. I'm the incrementalist. I'm here at uh, HIMSS 2019. Uh, we're streaming live uh, on Healthcare Now Radio um, with the Health Innovation Media team. Um, and excited to uh, welcome possibly one of my older friends uh, from the United States from when I first arrived, in fact, um, Michael Clark. He is the Senior Vice President, uh, General Manager uh, for Nuance, and um, Michael, thanks for joining me today. Great to see you, Nick. Thanks for uh, thanks for having us. So I know a little bit about your background, and you know we intersected through this industry uh, many years ago. But be helpful for our listeners just to hear a little bit about you and you know how you got to this place. Sure. So uh, I've been in the industry 25 plus years. started out very uh, very early on in clinical documentation I've kind of never really uh, never really left it and uh, been with a number of different uh, companies in various different uh, segments of the uh, all but in and around the providers and uh, the clinical documentation joined nuance about two years ago to run what we refer to as our provider solutions line of business which is uh, as the market, is really uh, buying and utilizing speech and clinical documentation improvement and optimization of their experience inside of the EHR. We look at that all as one uh, one line of business and the intersection of the technology, the services, and the outcomes and the experience, and we're trying to deliver that as one nuanced experience. So long storied history in in this space Um, you know one of the overriding areas of concern that you know I've certainly felt personally I know you've had a lot of involvement in is this whole issue of burnout what what's what's going on and what what's your sort of um, experience and and response to that yeah no uh, there's no doubt it's real people are talking about it I just came from a focus group about a completely different subject, uh, but it finds its way into every conversation. Uh, and how do we, you know, how does nuance look at burnout? I think, you know, maybe to take a step back, uh, you know, there's lots of lots of real data around what it means to the physician. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, as you know, as a physician yourself, you didn't go to uh, you didn't go to med school to uh, to spend 45 or 50% of your time documenting right. uh, or doing administrative duties. And that's literally what it's, uh, what it's grown to. And then depending on the specialty, uh, you know, the time you, when you can do that. So it's not only the amount of time, but actually what it does to your day and the continuity of your day. If you're a family practitioner and you're seeing 30 patients, 
uh, and you don't document in between, uh, at the end of the at the end of the day, you have one, two, three hours worth of uh, worth of work to document that. If you did document in between, uh, you may not see 30 patients, and that affects your reimbursement. So, it really puts the burden on the providers that they've just never had before. And, I, and again, we're very focused as on the physician because those are the end users today for a lot of our technologies, but the burnout, uh, and I guess now there's the fourth piece of the triple aim, now the quadruple aim, is really around the providers, the clinicians. So it's, it's physicians, it's nurses, it's the caregivers, they all feel that burden. So we're just looking at how do we as a company uh, address that in, uh, in the marketplace. So one of the interesting things I learned through all of these interviews, I, I hadn't heard this term, but that's it's pajama time. Did yeah. you know that? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I think we uh, we got introduced to it through, uh, you know, we have a big a big uh, practice and franchise in Epic around uh, started out in go live services and implementation, and now evolving with optimization. Uh, inside of Epic, there's the PEP reports, which is around the physician productivity, and it tracks when our doctors documenting, when our providers yep. documenting, and anything after six o'clock is referred to as pajama time. And when we go in and we look at how can we help with the workflow, how can we help with uh, the technology, the adoption, uh, we literally track where they spend their time and how the solution has helped drive down that pajama time. So it's all very visible. There's no secret around it. Uh, it's all very visible. So Nuance is working to drive down pajama time. That's exactly There's it. that marketing message right That's there right. for you. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So as you think about the quadruple aim and you know the elements that contribute to that, what, what are the pieces that Nuance has put together? You, obviously, a lot of this is in your portfolio but you're drawing from other parts of the business. I think that's one of the unique things that's going on here. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about that. So I think if you, if you think of Nuance 10 years ago, five years ago, very much dictation, transcription, front-end speech, uh, more about just actually creating a document, getting, it, getting the document created in an efficient way. And, of course, as you know, speech recognition cannibalizes dictation and transcription, but it's more than just that cannibalization. It's literally, um, it's literally in their workflow so they can be once and done. Uh, and that's certainly been a, been a ton of adoption. But as now we've got 200,000 physicians with a microphone in their hand documenting going to 300,000 users, uh, it's what else can we do to... Uh, inject intelligence into that workflow, or we refer to that as the dial tone, right? The, the physician documenting with speech is the dial tone. How can we build intelligence into that dial tone? And that intelligence is what are the things that would help the physician become more proficient or eliminate rework? So if they were incomplete in their documentation and a coder looks at the document, they're going to they're going to send back some sort of clarification or query or a CDI specialist. And 
And that rework comes back to the physician. We solve one problem with speech, eliminating transcription coming back a day later. All we do is now where it's gone to speech, it's now coding and CDI rework that's, that's, that's informing the physician. So we've, eva- we've evolved far more to the full end-to-end workflow. And you start to get into how does that documentation affect really the intersection of the clinical and financial aspects and what can we do, again, in workflow while that physician is documenting to help them solve those problems and ultimately the goal for the patient, the goal for the physician, the goal for the institution is the highest quality document, complete, accurate, and first time right. And so we are really evolving far more toward that clinical, financial, and adding value there to eliminate rework. Okay. So um, that first once and done activity is, you know, it's an essential part of, you know, not having pajama time and whatever. But there's also a safety element to that, right? Because if you get it right and and I'm saying right in terms of what was intended Mm -hmm. but you've also now got some capacity to use that information for a real-time approach to feedback and insights not just from a coding perspective but some of the other perspectives absolutely I think there's another sort of macro evolution that's going on if you think of uh, CDI programs 10 years ago five years ago they were just getting started most of the CDI programs started out looking to affect, you know, risk of mortality and, and severity of illness to help drive uh, an appropriate case mix index, which has a financial impact. As CDI programs have matured, and certainly we're in the CDI business uh, and, uh, and, ha- and do, a, do a great job helping institutions improve their clinical documentation through their CDI program, as they've matured, to your point, um, now they're looking at how can we focus on some of the other areas around specificity, around patient safety indicators that all are important ultimately to the patient, that the patient has a document or a medical record that reflects the appropriateness of the care provided. And so we're seeing uh, a lot less focus when they're looking at how can our technology help there, how can it help them get to first time right, high quality documentation? There's a lot more discussion now more than ever around patient safety indicators. And of course, with the move from volume to value, uh, quality of the documentation represents the quality of the care that was given. So um, certainly moving away from just the financial aspect of the right document first time to how does it impact the rest of the care? So um, you've, you've obviously got the um, innovation. Uh, they're showing it in the uh, experience room. Tell us, um, have you had any feedback? Have you had any discussion with some of the uh, folks that have seen it, customers? What, what's been the response? So, again, just because uh, it's so uh, it's just so contemporary. I just did a 90-minute focus group, and the focus group was about 
computer-assisted physician documentation, right, which was the next instantiation of speech recognition, right? right. Yep. Uh, it's what are those things that we can embed in, the, in that speech workflow to uh, uh, improve the, the physician documentation. So the, con- the, the, uh, the focus group was about how can we help physicians adopt these kinds of technologies? What's in it for them? Uh, and so that was the subject. All And this was a group of 15 CMIOs, or CIOs, I should say. And uh, the, all of the feedback came back to, uh, at the end of the day, what we want is the technology and the, the experience. We want the doctor to be able to look at the patient, do the exam, speak out loud, and have that document populate the EHR. To them, that was the definition of computer-assisted physician documentation, a hands-free environment where the physician has turned their chair and the room is listening and they get the, the other stakeholders get the byproduct of the complete documentation. Uh, one, there, was, there was a chief nursing officer in there and they said, you know, it, you're too focused on the physician there's information in that document that I need that I don't get. Can you think of other stakeholders? That concept of capture once, serve Not many. Use. Right. And, uh, and that's really what the whole movement toward virtual assistance and uh, what we're calling ambient clinical intelligence is that listening room that ultimately captures the documentation in the appropriate manner through normal conversation and then with that triggers value to other stakeholders whether it's a nurse whether it's putting an order out there reducing rework uh, or engaging a caregiver that is with their uh, with the patient uh, who's interpreting for the patient uh, what the patient otherwise couldn't really uh, couldn't really articulate uh, and and including that in the record it's a really exciting uh, time right now so it feels like it's not just the um, clinician to translate for coding and you know the, the various elements but there's also the potential to translate it for the patient right the, the you know deliver it so it's part of that um, what we, uh, you know, think of as health literacy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you know, even in the example, uh, in the examples w- that we're we're looking at, the patient speaks in, you know, normal normal speak about their pain. Uh, the physician, uh, the physician, you know, does the exam. And the example I always used to use is, or I, I like to use is, you know. Uh, how are you, Nick? We're talking, and uh, okay, let me uh, let me see, let me look at your eyes. Let me examine your eyes. Oh, your eyes look good. And now I go to your other systems. Well, that that statement, your eyes look good, in EHR speak, in medical speak, uh, that populates in the EHR as eyes equally round and reactive to light, totally. as you well know. Right. Right. And uh, and now as a patient, I look at that. And I think about that, and I know, and I'm just more aware of 
my body, what's supposed to be right or wrong, good or bad. I think that's just a good instance where that translation from just conversation into medical terminology uh, that the patient gets exposed to, we're seeing good, uh, we're seeing good feedback that the, the patients actually uh, enjoy that experience. So that, that's fantastic. I mean, I think we've, we have a real challenge. You know, patient engagement is the blockbuster drug of the century, but, you know, the enablement of that is to deliver information that they can use. There's been a push to sort of, um, I don't want to say, dumb down seems a bit pejorative. I don't mean that, the medical note. We can't do that because it's a precise note. It has elements of communication between professionals who need that level of detail but the patients struggle with that and this feels like it's a sort of a bridge um, you know and one of the other guests that I talked about one of the key elements is that bridging um, of information and it feels like this is one of those bridges that we can bring in and deliver to bring the patients into that engagement maybe offer them their own ambient clinical intelligence possibly absolutely and that's the uh, you know the, the the it can be applied Right. The key is you can't boil the ocean. So where does it where is it used? Where is it best used? Right. Where can it demonstrate? Where can that kind of technology demonstrate value and start small, but build and increment? I think the other thing that we're seeing you hear about all the advancements of AI and, you know, the massive amounts of data that can be consumed and, and deliver things like artificial intelligence or virtual assistance. Um, what, 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 what we've seen in particular is people have really come to realization this is really, really big and there's really, really value there. And nobody, no one company, no one entity, certainly no one person can do it all. So it's become much more collaborative with our partners like an Epic or a Cerner or a Meditech recently announcing our uh, virtual assistant relationship there, and we're figuring out what each other's strategies are, where mm-hmm. each other's strengths are, and how do we build upon that right. and not duplicate it. The, the, the problems are so big and so massive to solve. We're all going to better. We're all going to be better if we can leverage the strengths of each other yeah, yeah. and not duplicate effort and share more. Uh, and make it more of a true ecosystem to solve the bigger problems. That's fantastic. So, Michael, I know it's been a very busy show, lots going on. Really appreciate you making time uh, to come on up, share a little bit of your background and experience, and also spend a little bit of time with you. It's been a while since uh, we got to hang out. So thanks for joining us here at HIMSS 2019, live from the uh, uh, Nuance booth, 3345. Thanks, Nick. Great to see you. Good to see you. So this is Dr. Nick. I'm uh, the incrementalist, and I'm live from Hims 2019. We are live streaming from uh, booth 3345, um, and we are on Healthcare Now Radio uh, with Health Innovation Media. And I'm joined uh, now by Kent Harper. He is the VP of Emerging Solutions for Nuance. Kent, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Dr. Nick. How are you? I'm very well. So. Um, uh, for the benefit of some of our listeners, it would be good to get uh, a little bit of background, share a little bit about, um, you know, your background, your history, how you got to this point and, you know, your role at, uh, at Nuance. 
Happy to do so, yeah. So I uh, have been working my entire career in virtual assistant solutions. Uh, I've spent about 15 years at Nuance uh, working to bring virtual conversational agents uh, into many different products, everything from mobile phones to automobiles to uh, enterprise solutions. And I've come over to healthcare because uh, this is an exciting place to use the same technology that we've had in market for so many years in so many vertical markets to take this conversational agent and bring it into healthcare combined with everything else that we're already doing at Nuance with Dragon Medical One and some of our CDI solutions and encapsulate everything that we're doing to create that conversational experience for both the provider as well as the patient, uh, which is an exciting place to, to be in, in healthcare right now. So um, tell us a little bit about the initial part of that journey. You started outside of healthcare? Yeah, so I started in consumer products. You know, so looking at talking what to What was the first agent? The first what? What was the first agent? Uh, the first agent The first agent was, uh, if you talk to a mobile phone, uh, and I can't name them by names uh, oh, okay. in terms of our, our customer relationships. Yep. It was a mobile phone, but you could talk to it. Uh, you could place phone calls. You could check the weather. You could check sports scores. I could probably name it, but I won't. You probably could, yeah. You <laughs> probably would be right. <laughs> so you were involved in that. And then you've seen this sort of innovation. It sort of expanded out into different areas. Um, tell us about, you know, what were some of the challenges of getting to those agents working? Can you, uh, you know, cast your mind back. If you were talking to yourself 10 years ago, what would you have said, hey, you need to look out for this. Here are some of the blind alleys potentially. Yeah, the, the most important thing, you know, which we've really seen over the last couple of years is moving to true conversational natural language. The, the biggest barrier in designing these systems in the early days was you had to try to predict exactly how people are, were going to speak. Right. And the minute people went off script just a little bit or said something in a different style or used different words and you were predicting, things could get very fragile and brittle. And the last three years, we've made more advancements in natural language understanding than we have in the last 15 years. Everything's backed by data. Everything is AI-based in terms of how you're taking lots of data, building models based on how people are actually speaking, where people have tremendous flexibility and how they can talk to these systems and the right thing happens because the machine can fill in some of the gaps. So, I, I, I mean, I know my brain's pretty good at this. People can say things in different ways and I interpret it. How is the agent doing that? I mean, what's what's the, the sort of the high level? I mean, I, I, it, it's difficult to describe, but... What's the process? Yeah, it really comes down to two things. It comes down to the acoustics you know, of the, the person speaking, and it comes down to the language that they're using. And, and one of the most important aspects of making these systems work well is understanding the particular vernacular. So the vernacular of a mobile assistant, you have to understand weather and sports and things that your typical consumer might be looking for. The vernacular in healthcare, where we're very much looking at provider experiences and providers being able to tee up orders and schedule appointments and find information at the EHR. It's really about creating a very specific model for those speaking patterns and those semantics that are applicable to the specific setting, the specific uh, domain that the, uh, the, the user is in. So um, as you got into healthcare, you started to apply this. What were the sort of uh, the, the initial pieces of innovation that took place? What, what, what were your first early successes? Yeah, I mean, the most important thing right now is bringing the virtual assistant to solve the, the provider uh, burnout issue. You know, there's just so much administrative work that the provider has. 
So how do we take this technology, which in a typical healthcare setting, we can create this hands-free experience for the provider so the provider doesn't have to turn their attention away from the patient to use a mouse or a keypad if they need to tee up an order, they need to search for information like procedure notes or something else in historical in nature that's in the EHR. You simply speak to the system, you can keep your focus on the, the patient, and that information is then surfaced back to you. So that the hands-free aspect of what a provider can do with, with conversational assistance is going to be immensely impactful to that patient-provider relationship. So one of the key assets that I think about in that is that if that's the case, and you know that's a, an essential element to that, you've got to be getting really, really good accuracy in terms of what people are saying and, and rendering that. Accuracy is the number one thing you have to do. If you don't have the highest level of understanding of how to take that energy, the audio that's coming out of the speaker's mouth and convert that into the text, then everything that happens downstream falls apart because the text is wrong. The way that you apply natural language understanding and AI to take that text and convert it into something intelligent, either a task that the provider is looking to complete or take a freeform conversation like we, we showed today at, at HIMSS, take a freeform conversation and convert that into a clinical note automatically. It all starts with the highest level of accuracy. And to achieve that, it comes down to how do we capture your voice and suppress everything else around it. So one of the unique things that, that we have at Nuance is we have signal enhancement technology mm -hmm. combined with our ambient hardware device, which could be affixed to a wall in the examination room. And we use 16 microphones plus a vision module to record and track who's speaking. And we suppress all the other noise sources that's happening around the individuals that are speaking in a particular setting. And what that gives you is such a high fidelity of audio where you can transcribe who is talking, both the patient as well as the provider. So I, I, I've clearly got a resource that I can ask this question because it's, it's, it's one that's been in the back of my head since I discovered. Why 16 microphones? Why more than one? Yeah, that's a good question. So the more sources of input that you have when it comes to audio, the way the software works is it can use different audio inputs to actually determine through software where the speaker actually is in proximity to the speaker. Sounds and a bit, a bit like the GPS technology, right? Which it's, is, it's, it's, it's where are you? It's where are you in the room? Time and, distance to each of the microphones? And based on determining where you are, because you have multiple inputs saying different microphones, each picking up a different aspect of the sound, you can infer where the speaker is, and you can put an audio beam on that speaker so that all you're listening for is from that person's mouth and proximity to how they're speaking, the angle that they're speaking in relation to the device on the wall. And that's the audio that you, you realize this is the audio that we should process and everything else should get ignored. So I, I can, I'm curious, can you answer this? It, why 16 versus another number? Is, is there we've, a... we've, we found right now that in the particular clinical settings where these uh -huh. devices are, are going to be residing, that's where what's going to give us that magical number 16 for the highest level of accuracy for both transcribing the patient as well as the provider during a live conversation. Like you and I are talking to each other right now. That's what we need to be able to transcribe. And right. 16 microphones gives that us was the, the highest Did you try more, accuracy. try less? We have. We've done lots of experimentation. Um, How high did you go? Can you share? No, I'm not going to share that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How low did you go? 
And we've looked at, you know, four, we looked at eight. Okay. Uh, but, you know, 16 right now 16 seems to be, the to be the number that, that we're going with you know, to make sure that um, we're, we're going to be able to get that highest level of fidelity. Right. And, and then the other piece of innovation is there's, there's actually some additional sensors in the, uh, um, in the in-room device, right? Yeah. So you can think about vision as being a second source of data in addition to the audio. So vision could be used to track where the people are. You could use oh, space so recognition. Adding additional value. It's, an yep. extra, it's an extra data point. Yep. Um, you know, the more data points that you have in anything that's statistical, the better you are going to be able to predict what's happening. And so vision is a second data source that's going to make the system even more accurate. Right. Um, so I, I, that's fascinating. I mean, I think this journey of getting to this point of, um, you know, uh, capturing information at an accurate level, we've, we've sort of, we're almost delivering against Hollywood that promised something, what is it, 60 years ago or whatever it was where we've seen some of this. What do you think, um, so you've, you've obviously been involved in the setup of the, the demo, um, heard some experiences. What have the customers been saying? Yeah, I think right now just about everyone that has walked through what we're calling ambient clinical documentation where we're recording this live conversation, that conversation is being converted into a, a document automatically, that that right now is going to be a revolution in healthcare. It's going to be so transformative to what a provider is doing today, mm-hmm. given all the administrative overhead and burden that we're removing from the equation to really focus on, on the care, that the, the response has been overwhelmingly positive, and not just positive, but people have been blown away. You know, people saying that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen before. If we can make this a reality in healthcare, it is fundamentally going to change outcomes. It's going to change patient care. It's going to change patient satisfaction. At the end of the day, it's going to make providers a lot better at what they do because they're focusing on the patient and not worrying about the documentation and having to do that after the fact. So the response has just been overwhelmingly positive. Couldn't be happier about this journey that we're on. And the unique thing about Nuance, and one of the things that, that makes me very excited about this, you know, having worked in this industry for, for so long, is what we showed in the room is not in the too distant future. We have the technology for it, involves hardware, involves special software, involves AI modeling and some of the latest advances in neural nets, but we have all these pieces to make this work. So this, this is going to be an exciting, exciting time for us over the next couple of years. That's fantastic. So, um, uh, you know, exciting time. There's uh, lots been going on from a technology standpoint. Um, just very excited to uh, see where this goes. Um, you know, obviously delighted that you came across from another part of the industry. I think that's one of the key things is the adjacent possible and our ability to sort of learn from those areas. Um, I know it's been busy. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, join me. So, um, uh, you know, wish you uh, great success for the rest of the show. Yeah, thank you very much for the time, Dr. Nick. Okay, yeah, take care. thanks. So this is Dr. Nick. I'm uh, here at the uh, HIMSS uh, uh, 2019 booth, and uh, that's essentially a wrap. We've seen a wide range of folks. Um, we've had a lot of clinical perspectives and innovation We've heard about the ambient clinical documentation. I think the overriding message that we've heard from this is that this is absolutely going to revolutionize the space. 
This is a different interaction. There are new ways of getting involved um, and extracting information from the clinician, from the patient. And I think what's important is that it's not just about capturing the clinical information, but there's a real patient uh, potential. So this has a, an opportunity to give a patient an interaction with this that says, hey, we can capture the information from the patient. We can uh, turn that into useful clinical data, but we can also reverse the process and turn clinician information into um, patient-centric, uh, health literate information that they can use to really sort of engender and deliver um, uh, a patient engagement uh, uh, enabled environment. So this is exciting. Hims has been really very generous in terms of uh, the activity and the things that we're doing um, and very excited to uh, be here. So this is Dr. Nick. Uh, I am the incrementalist and uh, I'm live streaming on Healthcare Now Radio with Health Innovation Media. Don't let perfection stand. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.